the national news coverage of the disappearance of 22-year-old Gabby Petito. Breaking news of the case of a Gabby Petito, a coroner has just confirmed that remains found in Wyoming are in fact uh, that of the young woman and has ruled her death a homicide. Where is Brian Laundrie? That is the question authorities hope to answer this weekend. Laundrie hasn't been seen since September 14th, shortly after his girlfriend Gabby Petito vanished while the two were on a cross-country road trip. 350 million plus people asking where's Gabby? Hi everyone and welcome to episode one of On the Coattails. The entire world watched when on September 19th of 2021, the remains of 22-year-old Gabby Petito were found in the Grand Teton National Forest in Wyoming. Gabby's death was ruled a homicide by manual strangulation, and her killer, her fiancé, who she had just spent the last several months traveling across the United States with, Brian Laundrie, was now on the run from police. Countless media agencies became obsessed with the hunt for Brian Laundrie. Law enforcement was sprawled across the United States, looking in every single corner, leaving no stone unturned. The hunt was so captivating that Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie were trending on Twitter every single day. Every news agency was covering their story. If they weren't talking about the case, they were talking about how much attention they were getting. Gabby's story was visceral, profound, incredibly tragic. It also remained in the cognitive forefront of the entire North American population, and then some, until now. Brian Laundrie would also be found deceased on October 20th of 2021, and approximately a month later, it was determined that he died by suicide in the Carlton Reserve in Florida. Recently, Gabby's case has been closed. Even though we all knew that Brian Laundrie was her killer, when his remains were found, police also found a waterproof backpack containing a waterproof field notebook. Inside that notebook was an admission of guilt, where Brian says, Once Gabby was gone, I knew I was too. A lot happened between Gabby's death and Brian's death. What we now know was that Brian was hiding in the Carlton Reserve the entire time police were looking for him. But while they were doing so, eight different people across the United States had their cases cracked wide open and garnered small amounts of media attention through writing the coattails of Gabby Petito. Seven cases, seven states, eight people, and one connection. Most of these people were found deceased, with many of their cases still unsolved to this day. Many of these investigations are still ongoing. However, due to a lack of media attention and pressure on police, there seems to be no movement in these cases. And it makes me wonder, would they receive the same justice, the same level of effort that Gabby Petito received if they had gotten the same media attention? As someone with a passion for true crime journalism, I was abnormally unprepared for the media frenzy that followed Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie especially the stories that were underlying the search for them. While international media held on to Gabby Petito's disappearance and subsequent murder with what seemed like a death grip, I was personally captivated by the all-consuming search for Brian Laundrie, Gabby's killer. He seemed to evade police with ease, despite involvement in the manhunt from a multitude of well-equipped police agencies. 
fascination with this story would prove to be trivial, as nothing prepared me to learn that throughout their saga, bodies of other individuals unrelated to the case were continuously being found all across the United States. What was even more shocking to me was that not one national or international media outlet to this day have strung these cases together into a single, coherent, serialized narrative. Investigative journalism into their collective stories is entirely untapped. Juxtaposing the news focused on hunting Brian with the broadcasts of bodies found while searching for him highlights an incomprehensible discrepancy only understood through critical investigative analysis. The people I'll be telling you about in this series were missing for months with little police effort to find them. Most of their cases are still unsolved. Their stories deserve to be told as much as Gabby's was. And this is my task at hand. The limited series, On the Coattails, will walk you through seven cases where eight lives were lost that took place in parallel during the hunt for Gabby Petito's killer, Brian Laundrie. Their bodies may not have been discovered had it not been for fierce pressure from media felt by multiple police agencies compelling them to search for Brian with as much breadth, depth, and rigor as they did. We have seven different states, eight different people, and a lot to talk about. I'm going to start with an overview of what happened to Gabby Petito, what happened to Brian Laundrie, and how the entire fiasco unfolded in the media before everyone's eyes in real time. So with that, I think it's a good time to jump right in. million-plus people asking, where's Gabby? In the summer of 2021, Gabby Petito and her fiancé of just over a year, Brian Laundrie, left the state of New York to embark on a four-month-long cross-country van life trip that the couple was going to document on Instagram in their YouTube channel, appropriately titled Nomadic Static. Their one-year engagement had ran into some issues. There are reports that they did put their nuptial plans on hold, but for all intents and purposes, they were always still together. Gabby was actually living with Brian and his family in their home in Northport, Florida. Chris and Roberta Laundrie, Brian's parents, had accepted Gabby into their family home really without any issue. And according to everyone who knew the couple, everything was fine. They had been dating since March of 2019, but had actually known each other since high school. And then in July 2020, Brian asked Gabby to marry her. The couple's announcements about their engagement on their own Instagrams were heartfelt and seemed extremely genuine. Brian wrote in one of his own Instagram captions, My biggest fear is that one day I'll wake up and it will all have been a dream because that is what every second has felt like since the moment we found each other. Till death do us part, or until I wake up, I'm so happy the answer was yes. Love you, honey. 
and the couple were happily planning out their lives together. It was one of Gabby's lifelong dreams to do a cross-country van life trip. They were planning to take Gabby's 2012 white Ford Transit van, which had been purchased in December of 2020, and they spent the year converting the interior of the van into a fully functional home space. This is apparently not an uncommon practice, and there are lots of blogs and YouTube videos, including Gabby's own, that show the inside of the van and exactly how it was outfitted to sustain them as they traveled across the country in the summer of 2021. They finally left on their journey, again, approximately one year after they had gotten engaged. And along with the single YouTube video that Gabby posted to their Nomadic Static channel, there are several posts on social media, especially on Instagram, where the couple can be seen in Colorado and at different monuments in Utah. To the outside world, it looked like their van life journey was off to a perfect start. Unfortunately, we know now that all of the clever editing and nice audio in the background of their video was just smoke and mirrors to mask the incredibly tumultuous time the two were having while crossing the country together. The veil began to lift when, on August 12th of 2021, there was a 911 call placed by a witness who reported that there was a physical altercation happening between Gabby and Brian in Moab, Utah. The caller said that they witnessed Brian hitting Gabby in their van, so Moab police pulled the van over on the side of a highway. I'm sure that if you know anything about this case, then you have likely seen the body cam footage recorded by Moab police once they pulled over the 2012 Ford Transit van. In the audio, you can hear Gabby crying, you can hear Brian being very calm. One of the police officers points to marks that he sees on Gabby, indicating to him that the altercation was not at all mutual. However, Gabby decides to try and protect her fiance and begins telling police that the altercation was entirely mutual and there was nothing that he did to her that she didn't do to him. In fact, she started the argument. And at the end of it all, Gabby is deemed the primary aggressor, despite several witnesses saying that actually Brian was the one hitting her. Given how upset she was and her body language especially, many people have criticized the Moab police and said that this altercation was entirely a missed opportunity. This might be a byproduct of hindsight bias, but now, looking at Brian and his demeanor and the way he's addressing the police, he's way too calm in the situation and it kind of makes everyone watching the videos extremely uncomfortable. Evidently, Brian Laundrie is an incredibly good manipulator, and it's clear that he intended to get off scot-free despite this interaction with police. Police then proceeded to act like they were doing Gabby some sort of favor by not pressing some sort of assault charges against her, and instead, they separated the couple for the night. This whole situation is incredibly suspect, and if only Moab police were able to see that during this traffic stop, it's possible that the violence that ensued could have been entirely avoided. Brian actually left Utah and flew home to Northport, Florida only days after police separated him and Gabby. He flew home on August 17th and would fly back to Gabby on August 23rd. She had been in Utah by herself the entire time. However, apparently him leaving Gabby in Utah wasn't a part of the separation agreement that the Utah police had mediated. 
Instead, media reports say that Brian flew home to get some items that he needed and empty and close a storage unit because he was paying a monthly bill for it and he wanted to save the money so they could extend their road trip. On August 19th, the couple posted their first van life video on YouTube, titled Beginning Our Van Life Journey. Whether she was still upset, it's hard to say, but the couple were intending to continue like nothing even happened. At the same time as this entire incident took place, two individuals by the name of Kylan Schult and Crystal Turner were found deceased at their campsite in Moab on August 18th, 2021. The parallels in the cases between Kylan and Crystal and Gabby and Brian are uncanny. On August 12th, the same day that Gabby and Brian were seen on Moab police body cameras, the same day that they were pulled over in the white Ford Transit van, was again the same day that the two were seen by witnesses arguing in public. And this was even well before any of the altercations became physical. The reason this ties into the death of Kylan and Crystal is because that same day, they were actually at a food store called the Moonflower Co-op, where Kylan Schult was employed at, and she was there that day. And that's not the first time that Kylan Schult would cross paths with Gabby and Brian in Moab. Kylan and her new wife, Crystal, could have been shooting pool with Gabby and Brian at the Woody Tavern in Moab, which is the same location where Kylan and Crystal had mentioned to one of their friends that there was a creepy man near their campsite. Just like Gabby and Brian, Kylan and Crystal loved camping and they loved the outdoors. And so many people thought that after Brian had been placed under suspicion for Gabby's death and after Kylan and Crystal had been found deceased, that it's possible Brian could have been responsible for their deaths as well as Gabby's. The reason behind this is again, they were part of the group of people who saw Gabby and Brian arguing a lot that day and almost got them both arrested. People thought that Brian could have been retaliating against anyone who was a witness to him abusing Gabby that day. However, we will get more into that in the next episode. A few days after Brian had returned to Gabby, they were seen in Salt Lake City, Utah. And on the next day, on August 25th, the white van is seen in the Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. On this day, Gabby would post her last Instagram photo ever of her smiling, holding a miniature pumpkin, and posing in front of a colorful butterfly mural in Ogden, Utah. A few days later, on August 27th, Gabby's mom, Nicole Schmidt, received an odd text from Gabby's phone regarding her grandfather. The text referred to Gabby's grandfather by his first name, Stan, which, to Gabby's mom, was an immediate red flag. I don't think Nicole knew exactly why this was strange or what about it gave her a bad feeling, but it just did. On August 29th, a TikToker would claim in a video posted sometime later that she had picked up Brian Laundrie who was hitchhiking by himself in Wyoming and dropped him off at the Spread Creek Dispersed Camping Area, which is essentially the entrance to the Grand Teton National Park. The next day, on August 30th, Gabby's mom receives another text from her phone saying, quote, no service in Yosemite. And Gabby's mom would not receive any more texts from Gabby's phone ever again. On September 1st, Brian Laundrie arrived in Northport, Florida to his family home where he lived with his parents and Gabby, but he was alone. 
This was a surprise to everyone that knew Gabby and Brian as their road trip was supposed to conclude in October and they were supposed to conclude it together. To make matters even worse, he arrived back to Northport, Florida driving Gabby's white van. During this time, Brian went camping with his family and reportedly his family did not ask any questions about Gabby or her whereabouts, which I don't know if I entirely buy into. What's more suspicious to me though is that there was absolutely no communication with Gabby's family after he returned. Her mom, Nicole Schmidt, told police 11 days later on September 11th that she hadn't heard from her daughter since late August and was even suspicious of those last few text messages she received on the 25th and 29th, the one about Yosemite and the one about Gabby's grandfather. At this point, Nicole had no idea that Brian had returned to Florida without her daughter and she had no idea where her daughter was. So on September 11th, Gabby Petito was reported missing. I can imagine at this point that they speculated something possibly may have happened to Brian too, but we know now that he was alive and well, just camping with his family. Police were able to get in contact with the Laundry family quite quickly though, and on September 13th, Brian's family tells police that he was actually last seen going for another hike in the Carlton Reserve in Sarasota, Florida. This was of course a huge problem because Gabby had just been reported missing and Brian was the last person to be seen with her. Of course, police were interested in talking to him, but now they had no idea where he was and they wouldn't find him for over a month. At this point, it's not entirely clear how suspicious police were of Brian Laundrie in the disappearance of Gabby Petito. It's also kind of unclear whether or not Brian Laundrie's parents were cooperating with the police regarding his whereabouts. They did say he was last seen leaving for a hike in the Carlton Reserve, but very soon after, many reports say that they were not being cooperative and they weren't giving up the information that many people speculated they had about Brian and his whereabouts. I don't know if this young man's mother's alive. Is his mother alive? Did you ever reach out to her and say, can you please help me find my daughter? I texted her. I'm worried about the kids. I haven't heard from them. And um, I got nothing. Now, as a mother to another mother, I, I beg his mother to make him speak, or at least for the parents to say something. It would be two days after his family gave this information to police that he was going to the Carlton Reserve on September 15th that he was actually named a person of interest in Gabby's disappearance. They didn't have any legs to stand on and there was no way to prove that he was necessarily responsible for it. However, there was a warrant for Brian's arrest placed out for him because police had discovered that he had withdrawn a thousand dollars using Gabby's debit card, which is illegal. As a consequence, police started scanning the 24,000 acres that make up the Carlton Reserve in Florida, searching for Brian Laundrie. And police would very quickly broaden their search to areas that were not limited to the Carlton Reserve. There were officers being sent out to every area that police had received phone calls and tips about. If anyone called police stating that they possibly saw Brian Laundrie in their area, then there was someone in law enforcement who was going to follow up with it. One of the first places that police went was Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, Alabama is anywhere from an eight to 10 hour drive from where Brian and his family lived in Northport, Florida. But by the time investigators were out looking for him, it had obviously been a little while since he was last seen. So police knew full well that he could be technically anywhere. 
When investigators received a tip saying that Brian Laundrie could have possibly been in the area, without hesitation, they went out searching. However, what police found instead of Brian Laundrie was the body of a homeless man either inside or next to a garbage can beside a Walmart in Tillman's Corner, which is a suburb of Mobile. Some people speculated that it could have been Brian, but I assume by his condition, it was pretty quickly determined that it was not. Information about this man is extremely limited. There's been no facial reconstruction and no attempts to identify him at all since his discovery. Frankly, the only news articles longer than three-sentence local press releases about this man are those that discuss the discovery of the body in connection to the search for Brian Laundrie. This man has a family that has no idea what happened to him. I can't imagine. But we're gonna talk about that in the next episode. As we know, on September 19th, the remains of Gabby Petito were found in the Grand Teton National Park in the state of Wyoming, only a short distance from where that TikToker claimed to have dropped Brian off after she picked him up from hitchhiking. Only a few days later, on September 21st, Dr. Brent Blue, the Teton County Coroner, ruled Gabby's manner of death as a homicide, but the cause was still pending. On October 12th, that cause of death was determined to be manual strangulation, confirmed again by the Teton County Coroner. In this same report, it confirms that Gabby was likely strangled three to four weeks before she was found deceased. And at this time, the search for Brian Laundrie was in full swing, as I'm sure most of us were following it on social media. On September 28th, while police were continuing to search the area where Gabby's body was found to collect further evidence regarding her death, they stumbled upon the body of 46-year-old missing father of two, Robert Lowry. Robert had been reported missing by his family back in August, and it's unclear how thorough the initial search for him really was. But while searching for more information about Gabby's death, Search teams knew that Robert Lowry could possibly be in the area due to widespread news coverage of the Gabby Petito search, helping to shed light on his disappearance, which resulted in at least two members of the public calling local authorities with new information about his possible last known whereabouts. It was the same physician, the Teton County Coroner Dr. Brent Blue, who determined Lowry had died by suicide by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Robert had been missing for a month before he was found, and his family only knows what happened to him because he was able to ride the coattails of the case of Gabby Petito. In early October, several reports were emerging of witnesses who believed that Brian Laundrie was hiding along the Appalachian Trail near the North Carolina and Tennessee border. While police were investigating these leads, they stumbled upon the discarded remains of 33-year-old Josue Calderon from Rhode Island, New York on October 9th of 2021. Josue was found stabbed to death along the Blue Ridge Parkway below the Yadkin Valley Overlook at the Appalachian Trail. The most interesting part of this case to me is that Josue's family has no idea how he ended up in North Carolina or why on earth he would be 800 miles away from his home in Rhode Island. And the only reason he was found was because one witness called police and said, there's no doubt about it, that was Brian Laundrie I was just talking to, 100%, not a doubt in my mind. On the same day Josue was found, on October 9th, the skeletonized remains of 55-year-old Sarah Bayard were also found off of Highway 83 near Douglas County in Colorado. Douglas County is quite close to Colorado Springs, somewhere that Brian Laundrie and Gabby Petito were known to have been seen. 
Given that Brian Laundrie and Gabby Petito were confirmed to have been in Colorado Springs during their cross-country adventure before it all turned so sour, people had taken the same theory they had about Kylan Schult and Crystal Turner and had applied it to Sarah Bayard. They thought it was possible that Brian Laundrie could have been responsible for her death and that he was retaliating against anyone who saw him abusing Gabby. But given the state of her remains, it's been next to impossible to find out what actually happened to her. In fact, the El Paso County Sheriff's Office says the results of her cause and manner of death are still pending, and it's been approximately five months. These cases we are going to talk about in later episodes, but something I really want to highlight given the drastic lack of investigative transparency and media interest in these people is I want to understand more about what makes a missing person's case worth reporting. Gabby Petito's case was able to be resolved because of the intense pressure on police by the media, but why don't all cases get the same attention? We have one, possibly two homicide victims I just talked about in the last two minutes, along with a suicide, someone who went missing a month before they were found. These people were parents, they were healthcare workers, they were brothers, they were good people. The small amount of media attention they have received was all because of Gabby Petito. It wouldn't be too long after Gabby's cause and manner of death were confirmed when an additional set of remains were identified, found in the Carlton Reserve not far from Northport, Florida, on October 20th. The next day, these remains were identified as Brian Laundrie, and on November 23rd, it's confirmed that Brian died by suicide via self-inflicted gunshot wound. Only shortly before this discovery, the body of Lauren Cho was found in the rugged California desert. Lauren Cho had done something very similar to what Gabby had done with Brian Laundrie. She had just quit her job as a New Jersey high school teacher in 2020 and decided to use this opportunity to venture cross-country with someone who many media reports say was her ex-boyfriend, Cody Orell. On June 28th, Lauren apparently walked away from an argument with Cody around 5.15pm. She didn't bring her cell phone with her or any water, and she was never seen again. It's unclear to me if Cody Orell was ever thoroughly investigated, despite being the last person to see Lauren alive. But ultimately, police ruled that there was no foul play involved in Lauren's disappearance, a conclusion that many criticized for being premature. Her remains were found in October in the California desert, and to this day, like Sarah Bayard, the only statement made about her cause and manner of death, according to the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department, is that it's pending results. Lauren's case garnered a small amount of media attention after friends and family members were publishing her story while using hashtags related to Gabby Petito. Hashtag find Gabby. Hashtag Gabby Petito. Hashtag missing Gabby. Something I'll talk about in a little bit is that we know that Gabby's case has a resolution. However, Lauren's case does not. And now that Gabby's case is closed, the media has moved on without Lauren Cho. And like Lauren Cho, the disappearance of Daniel Robinson is widely suspected to be much more sinister than what police initially concluded. Daniel Robinson disappeared from his job site near the intersection of the Sun Valley Parkway and Cactus Road in the Buckeye, Arizona desert. He was a field geologist, and he left his job site at approximately 9.15am on June 23rd, 2021 in his 2017 Blue Jeep Renegade. Searches by police concluded nothing, however, a citizen was able to locate Daniel's Jeep a few miles from where he initially went missing. 
Once again, police concluded that there was likely no foul play involved in Daniel's disappearance. However, Daniel's family, and especially Daniel's father, David Robinson, have made it abundantly clear that they think otherwise. Daniel's case amassed a following from his friends and family also posting on social media, practically begging those invested in Gabby Petito to look their way. One tweet by Twitter user Shayla Davis says, I'm shaking reading about the discovery of Gabby Petito's body in Wyoming. While we're watching this case unfold, please take five seconds to read about Daniel Robinson. His father is still looking for him. This tweet was published on September 19th of 2021, and thus far has gained over 100,000 retweets. Daniel has never been found, but his family has never stopped looking. Next, you'll hear from Brian Enton, the primary journalist through the Gabby Petito investigation from start to finish. In January of 2022, he broke the news to the world that the FBI had just released their statement concluding their investigation. Ultimately, they determined that Brian, in fact, was the one who killed Gabby. We, we got tipped off that the FBI was going to release their final statement and, and final report to the media today in, in regards to the investigation. Um, I'm just going to read you the statement, which we have uh, we have all of this on newsnationnow.com if, if you want to look at it again, but I'm just going to read you the final statement here from the FBI. Uh, all logical investigative steps have been concluded in this case. The investigation did not identify any other individuals other than Brian Laundrie directly involved in the tragic death uh, of Gabby Petito. The FBI's primary focus throughout the investigation was to bring justice to Gabby and her family. The public's role in helping us in this endeavor was invaluable as the investigation was covered in the media and around the world. Uh, and then basically the FBI just um, shared their condolences with, uh, with the Petito family. The most recent news, as of February 2022, is that Brian's infamous notebook was found to have what is essentially an admission of guilt inside of it. So there was something else interesting deeper in, in the FBI's final report for the media. They, they had this timeline and they said that the FBI uh, did a review of the notebook. You'll remember there was that notebook that was found near Brian Laundrie's body in the Carlton Reserve. So they did a review of the notebook and found written statements by Brian Laundrie claiming responsibility uh, for Gabby Petito's death. Inside the notebook, Brian writes, I just wanted to say I'm sorry for everything that has happened. I never intended for any of this. The strain of our relationship was more than I could bear. I should have known to stay home after what happened in Moab. Everything was already a disaster at that point, but something made me return. Once Gabby was gone forever, I realized that I was too. When we went camping at Fort Decido, I wanted to tell you what really happened, but I couldn't bring myself to. I was too ashamed to tell Gabby's family what happened to her. I was too ashamed to tell anyone. I hope someday people can understand what really happened. Until we meet again, I love you forever, B. In this letter that he addresses to his parents, it outlines pretty much what I think we all knew likely happened, but an admission of guilt still doesn't make what he did digestible, nor does it bring back 22-year-old Gabby Petito. Honestly, I hazard to accept that this admission of guilt is hardly an admission of remorse. I think Brian Laundrie is a coward, I think he's a narcissist, and more than anything, I wish he would have to face justice. There was another aspect of this story that made me feel even more distraught over the case than I already was. 
All throughout the search for Brian and Gabby, I would sporadically find news about other bodies unrelated to the case being discovered. The stories presented are real people whose cases have only garnered moderate attention from latching onto the coattails of Gabby Petito. While Brian Laundrie was cowering away in the Carlton Reserve, eight bodies were found in seven different states. Gabby's disappearance and death opened the media's eyes to what domestic violence looks like in the modern world. Her story was captivating, it was visceral, and it was an incredibly profound tragedy. Her story is not the only one, though. Eight people met their untimely demise while their families grasped onto Gabby's media attention with white knuckles. And now that her case is over, these families still don't have answers. Seven out of eight of these deaths are unsolved. The only exception is Robert Lowry, whose death also still would have gone unsolved if police weren't searching for more evidence about Gabby. Over the next three episodes, I'm going to dive into each one of these cases that I discussed today and talk about exactly what we know happened to them. You're going to hear about Sarah Bayard, Josue Calderon, Kylan Schult, Crystal Turner, the unidentified homeless man from Alabama, Daniel Robinson, Lauren Cho, and Robert Lowry. We can't move on without offering resolution to these cases. We can't move on without at least trying to understand what happened. I hope that someone, somewhere, hears one of these stories and thinks about something they saw, something they heard, or decides to offer up information that they know, whether they think it's small or whether they've been holding back on purpose. I'm going to be diving deep into what makes a missing person's story worth reporting. I'm going to be raising a lot of questions about the integrity of certain police investigations. I'm going to try my best to give these cases the coverage they deserve. Although I'm thankful that these stories are somewhat known because of those hashtags, because of what people know about Gabby and Brian, it's not enough. And it won't be enough until all of these cases have answers. That's all from me today, everyone. And I'll see you back here tomorrow on March 16th at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for episode two of On the Coattails, What Happened in September.